0: Welcome to the Kumbaya podcast, the whole woman's resource. I am Dr. Amanda Shipley, a pelvic physical therapist who is passionate about prevention and supporting women along their holistic health journey. Today, I am sharing with you a conversation I had with Heather Edwards, who is a phenomenal pelvic physical therapist and human being. They founded Vino and Vulvas in 2015 and is also the creator of Important Parts, a coloring book for the crotch enthusiast. Heather and I talk about their journey from physical therapist to pelvic physical therapist to becoming certified in sexuality education and counseling. We discuss sexuality, gender identity, binary versus non-binary, and BDSM. Heather opens our eyes to the importance of feeling heard, seen, and understood, not only in our personal relationships, but also in our experiences with medical professionals. She strives to let her patients unfold their stories for her without assuming heteronormative and stereotypical gender roles, and inspires us to be open-minded and welcoming to the people we encounter in our lives, too. I know that I learned a ton from talking with Heather, and I'm so excited to share this important information with you all. Visit me at kumbayallpodcast.com if you want to check out the show notes and all of Heather's recommendations. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Heather. I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast.
1: No problem. I'm super excited to be on here, Amanda. Thanks for asking.
0: If you would, can you please start by sharing your story? How did you get into pelvic physical therapy?
1: Um, as far as pelvic physical therapy, um, I kind of, it I wasn't particularly that excited about it in, when I learned about it in PT school, but I always had a, I kind of wanted to do OBGYN stuff when I was an undergrad, but then I went the PT route instead. Um, and so then when I came to the hospital where I am now, um, I really was like the only one who wasn't opposed to it when our other health was leaving. Right, and I was <laughs> like, yeah, like I can do that. Like I was always the one who was teaching my friends how to put in tampons, like at slumber parties in middle school <laughs> and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I wasn't weirded out by it. So I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And then very quickly it became like my favorite thing that
0: I did. So
1: yeah, little, but that was you know my you were glorious training. entry. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> little did you know you were training when you were younger, you know, for your future Right.
1: <laughs> right. And, I, and, I, and that honestly all came down to like, I was the one who had a mom who explained it all to me, right. you know, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. Yeah.
0: so awesome. So how did you find your way into getting your certificate of sexuality counseling and sexuality education? Well, so. <laughs> I quickly
1: learned when doing pelvic health stuff, that like pelvic PT, that my very favorite thing of all of that was definitely working with the sexual stuff. Like, I loved being able to, I mean, there's so many things we do in pelvic PT that, like, we're the first person, you know, that people have ever disclosed so many things to. Um, you know, if it's just something as simple as, like, you know, yes, I leak a little bit when I you know, sneeze or something like that to, you know, I've never had an orgasm to pain, you know, sex has always been painful to, so, you know, just all sorts of things. And so I really quickly kind of learned that I sort of had like a nice little comfort spot with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like people like that was the place where I always wanted, like we would kind of be able to open up there a little more easily. And, um, and I kind of enjoyed being, you know, for a lot of people, their really first, sex ed that they've ever had um you know even with grown ups that yeah. you know haven't didn't ever learn anything so you know going through and kind of being able to to introduce someone to her clitoris um is kind of awesome yeah totally <laughs> i just got That's to do so... this last week you know oh. <laughs> still right yeah you know and so i just really enjoyed kind of giving people a more empowered look at sexuality and really being able to define it differently so so i really enjoyed that focus. And so, um, in doing that, I kind of, I was like, all right, so what am I going to do with this? And then I, I started a, um, a sex ed monthly event that I host and, um, and, and that was really fun. And so, and I did that, I would have, I have very various panelists that come on it, um, that have lots of different sorts of like sexual health expertise. And so it's kind of the more I just went along with that, the more I was like, you know, I just really need to like build up my expertise with this as well. So um, I, you know, and then it was also nice because in all these, with all these people I met who are on my panels, you know, they had all these different ways that they got to where they were. And so I got to kind of talk to lots of different people about the what they did. And I ended up going to the University of Michigan. Um, they have a, a certificate program in sex, sexuality counseling and sexuality education. And so um, I did that. And I kind of followed the footsteps of, um, one of my, my mentors here, Elise night who is a, uh, she's a urology physician, uh, or a physician's assistant. And she, um, she's a sexuality counselor and educator, and she does a lot of work with the trans population like I do too. And she's also on my panel. She we're going to be on a panel tonight together.
0: Actually, Oh, exciting. Oh, that's so yeah. awesome. Well, I can tell you, I've met you in a few times now and yeah, just your energy and you're so, um, comfortable to be around and just you kind of normalize things and some of the things that you know when we've taken classes together that have come out of your mouth I'm like oh my gosh what? <laughs> but you just said it like yeah that's no big deal you know and <laughs> and yeah you just you have this way about you i can totally see that this is your niche and and you know people are comfortable opening up to you with you know for the first time about a lot of things so for those of us who don't know and um can you explain what's the difference between a sex counselor and, you know, is that different from a sex therapist? Yeah, that is,
1: that's such a good question because it is a little different when we're talking about sexuality stuff to kind of understand who is what, Mm -hmm. because when we get into like, like, If someone is going to look for a sex therapist, you know, that can mean a lot of different things. I don't even think that people necessarily think of that as like meaning a mental health professional, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people who are, you know, sexologists or clinical sexologists or somatic sexologists who don't actually have any sort of like like mental health. Training, mm-hmm. they might just have like a PhD in sexology, which is fantastic and really great, but it's much more of an educational role. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as far as the difference between, so we've got counselors, therapists, and educators. Mm-hmm. So, um, a, a sexuality counselor is going to be someone who has a medical degree. Okay, so if there's someone who's done more extensive training in um, in sexuality services. That it has like a physical therapy degree or a, um, or a physician or a PA or a nurse practitioner, or nurse, anyone like that. They're going to then fall into the category of sexuality counselor. Mm-hmm. And then anyone who has a mental health degree, um, which gets confusing because those can also be counselors, right? right. You know, that have like a mental health counseling degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but that anyone with a mental health degree then becomes a sex therapist. Okay. And then um, the educators are the ones who don't have a medical or a mental health like license to treat people, mm-hmm. but are still doing education. And, you know, and a lot of them will still work with people one on one, but it's all just kind of like like one on one education discussion sort of stuff. Right. So super helpful. Like, you know, all three of those are you know really important and it's really fun when we can all work together. Um, but another like kind of to do break down the difference between sexuality counseling and sex therapy as well um, as far as anyone who feels like they would maybe want to do the sex sexuality counseling but is a little nervous about like oh my gosh but that sounds like so much like extra stuff to deal with mm-hmm. that the difference is that the the mental health professionals do the intensive therapy things so so if someone comes in and they have a big History of trauma, or it's like a lack of trust to be able to get back to being have being able to have a sexual relationship with their partner, or things like that. Mm-hmm. Like that's the stuff that that goes more towards sex therapists, right? right? But if it's like people just need specific suggestions on how to understand how their own body works and how the partner's body works and how to work together and some exercises to work on being able to make things work together again, like counselors can do that. So we can do all the education and kind of specific, you know, um, suggestions. But we can't do like the tell me about your childhood yes, stuff.
0: Yeah. So with the sex counselor, is it like, whatever the medical degree is of the person who got that counseling degree, do they just kind of work the counseling degree into like their practice? Is that exactly? Yeah. 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 So it's it's not an
1: additional degree licensure certification or it's a certification. Um, But the thing is like, so with the university of Michigan, it's a certificate program that you go through. So uh, So I have a dual certificate in sex education and sex counseling, but I'm not nationally certified. Until I actually go through and do the um, ASECT, who is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists, they have a big, a big amount of things that you have to go through and be able to check off this big list and then go through a year of supervision Um, and it, the hours and all that depend on if you're a counselor, an educator or a therapist, Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to go through and do all of that and then apply for certification. Um, and then, you know, if you're approved, then you actually are certified. So I hold a certificate, but I am not yet certified, but hopefully will be within the next couple
0: of months. Oh, great. Good. So you're already working towards that. That's excellent. Yep. Yeah. Super neat. Um, so do you feel like being trained as a sexuality counselor has changed the way you treat your public patients? It
1: has. It has changed everything. It's been really fantastic. Um, I feel, and I think one of the one of the big ways that I. I think that I I feel like I'm a much better therapist now than what I was before Mm -hmm. is because I went through this program where the vast majority of the people in the program were mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. So as we're doing all of our practice and learning together, because we're learning a lot of the same stuff that they are, you know, and they're learning a lot of the same stuff that we are when it when it comes to both the medical and the um, and the psychological side. But the being able to understand trauma and the effects of trauma so much better it has been really, really helpful for me to not just like, you know, if, if, cause you know, when we screen and say, you know, do you have any sort of history of sexual trauma or unwanted sexual experiences or something like that? I don't feel like we're always, we're necessarily trained to know what to do with that. If they say yes, right. You know? Right. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed being able to go through this program to where now I feel like when, that comes up, like, I've got all sorts of ideas. I've got, like, I know what I'm going to work off of. I know what kind of conversations I'm going to have with them. I know kind of where I'm going to go and where I want to make sure that, like, I really affirm them and, you know, just the things that I do a little bit differently, but then also understanding that so many people have trauma that even if they don't answer that, yes, they've had some sort of trauma, that it still might be there. So just kind of, having those ways of really being intentional and more gentle and careful around lots of
0: topics um,
1: is good. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah, so that was good. What are, um, what are some of the commonalities that you see most women dealing with these days, like thinking specifically of sexual health? Um, With sexual health,
1: it's kind of just like go back through my Rolodex of my last few weeks of patients, you know, what I'm thinking, yeah, so exactly. I don't know how accurate of a sample this is, but, <laughs> <laughs> but as far as what I've seen a lot of lately, and it's actually a, a kind of demographic that I really enjoy working with mm-hmm. is the, the women and I, I live in North Carolina, so I am in, I live in Asheville, but I work in Haywood County, which is um, kind of more conservative than Asheville. Asheville is a very liberal city. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I kind of need to specify that because working in Asheville and working in Haywood County are two very different animals as far as patient clientele in a lot of ways. Um, But I tend to see a lot of patients now who are like who were brought up in the purity movement Mm -hmm. um and so they you know waited for marriage until they had sex and then they tried to have sex and then it was painful and then it didn't work and then you know they end up seeing me you know months years later when they still haven't been able to have sex um and that's really what they want but like by that time you know, there's become so much like difficulty communicating and resentment, and you know, not trusting your body and feeling broken, and all of these layers um, wrapped up in it. That that there's there's so many steps to take with it. But I really enjoy working with that population, and it seems like I've seen a lot of those lately, um, as far as sexual health stuff. And you know, that's just me in particular. But I also see a lot of people who have never had orgasms before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not necessarily that's why they're coming in to see me. But a lot of times once we do the full screen, like that comes up and they would very much like to fix that if possible. Yeah. Um,
0: Huge quality of life, you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to be doing this anyway. And wanting to connect with our partner, why can I not, yeah, go the extra little bit and get that pleasure myself. Right. And, you know, and I think especially
1: it kind of, it hits in the place, too, where there's like I see a lot of, of and the, uh, everyone I'm talking about here is all uh, cisgender women as far as who I've worked with with these specific things. Um, but I've also seen a lot of, you know, women who have been having sex for a long time with their, you know, partners for, you know, that they've been with for years and years. But it's always hurt, you know, and so they're just finally now either it gets to the point to where they want to talk about it. Or they come in and see me for urinary incontinence, mm-hmm. and then once we talk about it, they're like, "Oh, you mean it doesn't have to hurt?"
0: You know, <laughs> novel idea, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, wait, wait. So, what?
1: exactly, yeah. That's so many things. Yeah, it's well, but I think we just need to make T-shirts, Amanda, that yeah. say like you know, no leak, like leaking urine is not normal and neither is pain with sex. I think everyone would like be stopping us on the sidewalks being like, what? Wait. Yeah.
0: Exactly. In what country? What are you talking about? (laughs) Right. I totally agree. And, you know, I've only done, um, you know, worked in pelvic health, physical therapy since I've lived in the South. So I don't Uh know the difference. Like I, I come from Connecticut, so I've never worked in New England, um, but I definitely see it in the south. And I think it would probably be the same in the north too, you know. It's, like yeah. you said, is that Puritan kind of, and I've even had patients tell me, oh my gosh, I'm going to go home and yell at my mom because she kept me saying my knees had to be together and everything's tight down here. And like, they're just taught to like keep their legs so close tight. It's interesting yeah. to see how you you're raised and just these thoughts about sex and about your body and how that can have physical ramifications down the road, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and I agree with, as far as the demographics, I feel like I've always a practice in the South as well, mm-hmm. you know, and while I definitely, I see a lot of, you know, differences, but you know, there's a lot of the same stuff going on everywhere.
0: Right. But,
1: um, but yeah, as far as where I
0: am, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. But I see the same thing with my practice too. So it's, Nice to know I'm not alone and you're not alone and, and yeah, hopefully helping people. So <laughs> um, so you're teaching several courses on transgender pelvic health this year. And I know earlier this year you presented on that topic at combined sections meeting. So um, tell us how you got into trans pelvic health. Uh, uh,
1: trans pelvic health, um, it was it was kind of fun though. Yeah. I don't, I guess the the answer is I don't fully know. Like usually the assumption is, you know, that, Oh, well, you know, someone who's trans, there's something personal to you or you're trans or something like that. But like, I didn't. And, um, and this has kind of always been my pattern. I think that I'm one of those people that like the way I work is that if you tell me that, there's something that works really well for 98% of the population, I want to know what the experience is like for the other two, you know? And so, so that's just always where I'm looking. I'm always looking, okay, who's getting left out of this equation and what is that experience like for them? You know? Um, and that was what led me to, to trans health, you know, because as a pelvic PT, I think, I think there was kind of like a little series of events that happened for me where, it was probably, like, I I had a couple patients in a row who I'd seen for, like, it was, like, a hysterectomy and, like, a bladder sling that had some, you know, pretty dramatic, uncomfortable things that were going on since their surgery, you know, mm-hmm. um, and... And, it, and I think that there, I kind of had like that and I was just like, oh, my gosh. like. And really think about thinking about our missions as pelvic PTs and how often we're trying to keep people from having to have surgery when they don't need it, you know, and then like becoming more aware of trans stuff at the same time and especially trans people who are having bottom surgeries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when I was like, oh, my gosh, like it doesn't seem like we're seeing them and it seems like pelvic PTs should be like like we should be their go-to people. Right. You know, as far and so and I, and I looked around and there was like nothing to be seen. Like there was no no courses, no acknowledgement, nothing that was happening with it. And so I was just like, well, not on my watch, yeah. you know. So, so I just kind of started learning more about it um And and Asheville has a pretty big LGBT population. Um, And so we do have a lot of trans people here. So I, you know, I do have friends that are trans. I have a heck of a lot more friends who are trans now. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it was like, you know, I did kind of, I had a little bit of experience, like of just knowing people and knowing a little bit of kind of what was difficult for them, but it wasn't like we'd ever dug into conversations about their genitals or if they'd had bottom surgery or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, just kind of having those, those aha moments when you realize like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? And, you know, and back when I was start first learning about it, like what was happening often for the surgeries, like there wasn't really anyone in the U S who was doing them, like maybe just a few but they were so expensive so what most people were doing was flying to Thailand and then having their surgeries in Thailand and staying there for like a month and then flying back and then not having any medical care to follow up with like a completely completely altered genitalia
0: Wow. and I'm sorry that's not a short flight right I mean right I know like even just sitting on like a vulvar surgery a
1: month after a massive surgery, for you know, and you know, eighteen-hour flight or something, <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, it's pretty crazy. That is crazy.
0: So more people are doing it now in the United States, right?
1: Yeah, there's a lot more um, doing it in the United States, and there's um and and Canada too. So so it's nice that people don't have to travel nearly as far um, to get the surgeries. But you know, there's still obviously lots of different you know financial barriers and things like that to it, but. But yeah, there's a lot more people, um, just, I think even in the five year in the past five years, or even just in the past couple of years that are now offering, um, gender affirming surgery.
0: How has that, or do you feel like that has changed the way you do all of your work working with the trans population? I mean,
1: yeah, I would say kind of in that same way of, um, of working with, or kind of, like, understanding more about, like, trauma-informed care, mm-hmm. I would say. And, you know, and also kind of in this time frame, um, I also kind of came out as queer myself. So, you know, where I kind of really thought I was straight, and then I, you know, really kind of realized, ah, I'm not as straight as I think I am. Mm-hmm. And then understanding a lot more about that. So just understanding more about kind of, like, queer world and LGBT issues and things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's also sort of been part of my background with this also. Um, But yeah, but I think, so for so for an example of me having an experience, and I very much look like a cisgender woman. Like if you meet me, see me, there's not anything that would make you think, oh, she's gay or she's you know queer, she's trans or anything like that, um, you know. But I I do identify more like non-binary or gender queer, mm-hmm. but I feel very comfortable in my body as is, and um and it's and that's okay for me. Um and so. For me, going in to see a medical provider, it's it's like you don't understand the, or you don't necessarily see the narrative that, that like our society puts on us as yes, women yes. until you don't feel like you fit that narrative and it's being forced on you anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this sucks, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it's like how many times do I need to tell my gynecologist that, you know, that... I only have sex with women now for them to stop telling me that I need to get on birth control and giving me pregnancy tests. Yeah. Wow. You know, but it's like that that's the standard of care, right. you know,
0: they just assume. And, right.
1: Right. And, you know, and I understand that there's, re- there's lots of different reasons of why they do that, but, but it sucks like being on the other side of it because you feel like you're working with someone who doesn't see you and who doesn't understand your needs and is not going to listen to what you say, you know? And so, um, so I think having that experience and then understanding how I potentially am inflicting that experience on others for all sorts of different reasons, whether it's race or gender or orientation, like I don't want that to be part of my story with people. You know, I don't want that to be the experience that they have with me. So, um, so when someone comes and works with me, you know, as far as what I've learned from all this is that, like, I really try to let everyone unfold their own, own narrative. Like, I'm not ever asking, you know, oh, so, you know, do you have a husband or do you like I'm not ever trying to assume anything about the number of partners someone has, what their sexual behaviors are, um, you know, what their what their relationships are like, what how they think of their body um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just, I try to open it up a lot more, um, and that works well, and it, and it's really nice when you do end up with people who are not used to that, and, like, they do identify as, you know, bisexual or genderqueer or something, and they realize that that's who they can be with you yes. in a room, and that's often the first time they've ever had that experience in a medical office, right, a you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's kind of neat because even, you know, for even trans people, you know, a lot of practitioners will be like, oh, well, I don't get trans patients who come to my practice. And it's like, well, if it's like a trans woman, but she still has like her driver's license insurance still has the her you know the name that she was given at birth. That's more of a male name. She's probably or I mean, it might be. Be that she's just more comfortable coming in for what feels like her, like dressed as drag, you know, in her boy clothes for the day, mm-hmm. so she doesn't have to go through the whole experience and, you know, explaining to everyone like what the deal is and just uh, just uh, completely avoid that whole thing. But that doesn't mean that as you're talking to, you know, this woman. About like, you know, her penis and, you know, talking to her like she's a man with a penis and putting her in cisgender heterosexual, you know, category that like that's a good experience for her at all. You know, that just makes you not want to ever go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. you know. So, so you know, I think that like if we the way that we see people like making any assumptions based on how we see them is is kind of dangerous as far as like our the credibility that we get to have. Like, we, they still need to be able to unfold their story, regardless of what we think it might be. Yes.
0: So yeah. let's, and you've said a couple of things in there that I want to kind of step back and almost do like a little um, vocabulary review or a little explanation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's go through, because you've mentioned like, a trans woman or cisgender. So if we can kind of go through some of those terms, kind of explain what they mean, um, so everyone's kind of on the same page.
1: Yeah, um, so um, for anyone who, I and I always remember this from organic chemistry, <laughs> so the, the prefixes, the Latin prefixes, cis and trans. So cis means same and trans means different. Okay. okay? So if and so then we kind of use the terms like assigned at birth sort of thing. And so if you were assigned male at birth, it's based on what your genitals look like. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're assigned female at birth, it's based on what your genitals look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if someone is assigned female at birth, and then continues to identify like their brain identifies as female as they're growing up and as they're adults and they're like and that is how they feel they are then they are cisgender they're they have the same gender identity as the gender they were assigned at birth okay, okay? Mm-hmm. so if someone is transgender that just means that they were assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth and we'll go with female just for the example so someone is assigned female at birth mm-hmm. and then as they grow up they are maybe as a child maybe they're identifying more as i'm going to grow up to be just like my dad mm-hmm. or you know i i'm a boy you know um, but but not everyone necessarily realizes it when they're a kid so i don't want to put that you know narrative on it yeah. that's right yeah. but but some do um, and so then as they get older, you know, it's like there's, there's it, sometimes it's just, it's that thing that they're closeted about, but really they feel like they're, they're male, you know, or they're, they're a boy and that's the world they should have been in. Um, and so those people would be considered a uh, transgender. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now can I it, add so another? A,
0: yeah. So is that a trans man? So like female at birth going to a man that is trans. Is right.
1: So. so So when you use man or like man or woman, Mm -hmm. that is the gender identity. Okay. okay? Okay. So if I am a trans man, Mm -hmm. that means that I was assigned female at birth and then I transitioned to male. Okay. Okay. So you, so you might have two people who are sitting there, you know, with beards and look very masculine and one is a cisgender man and one is a transgender man, but they both identify as man. Got it. Okay? okay. But one might have a penis and one might have a vulva. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um yeah, and then so and then another little thing, and so this is another layer, and I know sometimes when people are trying to wrap their head around cis and trans and then you throw on this layer, it's like, ah, I give up. But I think it's a it's a good thing to kind of understand mm. um is binary and non binary.
0: Okay.
1: Um and this and I, I really kind of love this concept <laughs> because I feel like it's kind of like the breaking us all free from, from like, you know, from expectational junk that we grow up with. Yeah. So, um so binary means that you kind of fit into a system that means that there's, there's male and there is female. Okay. So that there's those two options for how you go through the world.
0: It makes sense. Binary is two so, or bi is two, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Okay.
1: Right. So binary means male and female. Now, cisgender people can be Binary, right? Yeah. You can be a woman or you can be a man, cisgender. You have the genitals that, you know, you identify with in your your gender as well. Mm-hmm. But trans people can also be binary, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the people who, like, if you think of, like, Laverne Cox and, like, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, people who they went from, you know, being assigned male at birth to very much fit into they are a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So so they went from one box into the other box. Got it. Okay. So, so that's binary. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so cis people can be binary and trans people can be binary. All right. And then there's Mm non-binary. Okay. So non-binary are the people who say, I see that you think these two categories are the ones that exist in this world, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling you they're not. And I don't fit in either of those boxes. Mm,
0: mind blown. So what's what is yeah. what's what else is there? Like,
1: there's anything you want to be. See, yeah. like, so from there, That's like. Crazy the awesome. boxes don't exist, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so these are uh, a lot of times people who identify as non-binary will, um, you know, use like them, they pronouns. Like, mm-hmm. so instead of using she, her, or he, him, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, you know, the pronouns they'll use is they, they, and them. Yeah. Um, and then in, I mean, there's, I, I, if you look up the list, like, you know, there's like Demi boy and there's, you know, there's, yeah. you know, gender queer and there's, or some people just call themselves non-binary. Yeah. Um, but there's all sorts to different versions of it and you know and then you can imagine there's like you can look any way you want also right you know so it's basically just saying like I see what you're trying to push on me with the narrative of what it means to be a woman or a man and I'm not down with that
0: that's so freeing so yes so right <laughs> yeah so it's not like okay I'm a woman I have to wear pink and Exactly. Keep up the house, you know, where it's basically like, I, I totally get that. So like, could we say this like a modern man, someone who's in touch with their emotions and they can yeah. do housework but they can do yard work and they play sports and they cry at movies and, and you know, they're and in touch with be- it. Yeah. Right, and maybe they're just
1: fine with painting their fingernails and occasionally, like, want to put on lipstick, and right. that's all
0: fine, yes. you know? Yes, got
1: it. So there's so many different versions of what non-binary can be. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's not even, like, to even try to define it as, like, not yeah.
0: possible, right? right? Because there's infinite, <laughs> there's infinite possibilities is what exactly. you, yeah, you imagine. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, mm-hmm. I totally, okay, I totally get that. Now, what about... Um, you've enlightened me in the past a a little bit. So maybe we can touch on this now um, about intersex. Is that like, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's go into that a little bit.
1: So, so that's kind of the other interesting layer when we're talking about um, the, especially like the assigned at birth thing, right? Right. Um, It seems like when you say assigned at birth, it's like, okay, well maybe that's just a term that, Seems like it's you know that the the queer community made up, but really everyone's just biologically one sex or the other, and that's completely false. Um, you know, so uh, the I think usually what I see approximated is it's like one percent of the population, which is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) like that's a lot of people. Um, one percent of the population is um has some sort of intersex variation. Okay. And that can mean, again, a a huge amount of things. Um, Many people who are intersex don't realize they're intersex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are, you know, so if there's someone who is assigned, you know, female at birth, And she has a vagina and she has a clitoris and she has a vulva and, you know, she develops, she goes through um, female uh, adolescence um, and puberty and then, you know, grows up, identifies as a woman and then is trying to get pregnant and then can't get pregnant. It's trying to figure out why. And it's because she has actually testes instead of ovaries that are undescended. And it's because she, um, uh, is androgen insensitive, so at the point where her body would have actually, so she's got like XY chromosomes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the point that her body would have actually started to create the 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 masculine um, features, okay. that that didn't happen, right? Yeah. Because the creating the female features is actually everyone's default and so a special cascade has to go off in order to um get the the male features to happen and that didn't happen for her because her body wasn't sensitive to it okay so um you know so examples like that you know because when we look at it we simplify it in like politics right x y equals man you know penis equals man but like there's so many people where that does not apply And, and so it's so silly to break it down like that. And so, you know, people get so self-righteous about, well, there's really only two, I know biology and XX and all this. And it's like, oh, there's XXY there's, you know, there's there's so many variations. And then within all of those different, you know, genetic chromosomal variations, their bodies can look so many different ways as well. It's not like this genetic variation is going to yield this physical body right. right so so there's all sorts of variations but guess what when mm-hmm. all of those people are born they still get assigned female or male yes at birth right mm-hmm. so like the gender that they were assigned at birth might not, or I guess it's more of the sex that they were assigned at birth, which then if, you know, assigning a gender at birth means that your parents are <laughs> committed to making you that, to socializing you yes. in that gender, right. which, you know, is may or may not be the gender you actually identify with. But, um, but yeah, so the sex assigned at birth might not even be accurate, yeah. you know, and a crazier thing is the way that they actually assign sex at birth it has nothing to do with the presence or absence of a vagina. Mm-hmm. It only has to do with the length of the phallus, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone has ambiguous genitalia, mm-hmm. it's like, and I don't remember the, the number, but if their their phallus is greater than a certain amount, then it's considered a penis and they are assigned male at birth. And if it is less than a certain amount, it is considered a clitoris and they are assigned female at birth. Wow. Right. So, like, all of our genders assigned at birth, or, you know, sex assigned at birth, for, for a lot of people, that's still a complete load of crap. Yeah. Right? Do you think that
0: could ever change? Like, so when babies are born, we, we talk about them, and they or them, you know, we don't use she or he kind of thing, and then when they start going through puberty, or when we start, you know, they start being able to tell us how they identify, do you ever see that, like, becoming a reality, or...
1: I, ho- I mean, it is for more and more people mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot more people who are, you know, that, that's just kind of, they just wait and see. They don't really push anything on their kids and just kind of let them grow up with all the variations and doing how, you know, do what they want. And, um, and just see where it falls yeah. um yeah. you know I I've, I feel like I've done that with my kids for sure mm-hmm. and yeah and it seems like they both like they were both assigned male at birth and they both seem to identify pretty male you know yeah. and you know but we've had the talks so like they understand what trans is and they understand all these things so yeah. you know it's not like I don't feel like they would just necessarily be like hiding something, you yeah. know.
0: And how old are your um, kids? If you don't mind asking Uh, they're eight and eleven. Eight nice. Okay, cool. When did yeah. you start like when did they learn about trans and when did you educate them on all that? Oh gosh. Um I've been
1: educating them about like you know, about their bodies and and Whatever. And when, like, even when they were itty bitty, like, and we'd start using the words like, you know, penis and, you know, scrotum and um, testicles and all that to help them understand their bodies. Mm -hmm. I was always educating them on, you know, and that, um, you know, little girls have a clitoris. And so, you know, and their clitoris feels good for them to play with just like your penis does to try to help close the pleasure gap. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, but to make sure that they always understood that that the the counterparts to what their you know pretty like standard cisgender sort of anatomy is, all right, cisgender wasn't the right word there, mm-hmm. but what their 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 typical male anatomy is, that the the what the typical female anatomy is is very similar, and what the analogous parts are, and it is just as important and valid. Yes. Um, and so then kind of as they got older, then we would start kind of having the conversations a little bit more, you know, about, you know, how babies are made and how this happens. And then we would talk about, you know, just because you have these parts, you know, your, what your gender is like, if you feel like you're a boy or a girl is actually in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, then most of the time what your brain and your genitals are match, but not always, you know and so for you know kids where it doesn't match that can be kind of stressful and challenging for them especially depending on how you know their friends and their family treat them about it but you know this is what that is and i had such a funny sweet little moment with the boys they were probably geez, maybe like five and eight or something. Mm-hmm. And my five-year-old was, he's definitely, he really likes things to fit in boxes. Like he likes checklists and he really likes categories. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes when I am like talking to him about some of this stuff, he always has to do like a kind of, you know, wait, wait, wait. And has to be able to like chart it all out, you know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas my older son, like, he just gets it. Like, you just explain a, a concept to him. He does not like to have checklists or boundaries or anything on anything. Yeah. So, like, he can just do that free association. You give him a concept and he can run with it. And so my five-year-old was like, okay, mom, let me get this right. So only um, women have babies, right? And my eight-year-old says, well parker and trans men <laughs> oh yeah he like
0: got it immediately yeah he got it right
1: yeah. and so then we were discussing how like you know being able to have a baby is a function of having a uterus and a you know a uterus
0: mm-hmm. basically yeah right.
1: and so like who are all the people that we know of that can have that have uteruses you know and are they all women no, they're not. You know, there's a lot of transgender men who have babies or non-binary people who have babies. And so not everyone who has a baby and is going through the, you know, pregnancy and postpartum classes and steps and care and all that identifies as a woman. Yeah. You know, there's, there's another fun thing, right? What yes. do we make our faces look like for pregnancy and postpartum? I know. Wow. Definitely not encouraging for men to be there. Right, right. That's a certain
0: Wow. Yeah. This, is, this is all great. And then we haven't talked about it that much too, but I know since um, you're just so knowledgeable of all of this and this kind of leads into your vino and vulvas, which I do want to talk about next. Can you remind me what does BDSM, what does that stand for?
1: Uh, BDSM. uh, Yeah. (laughs) so It's like one of my very favorite things to talk about, like for so many hilariously vanilla reasons. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I love it. I love the structure of BDSM. So, Mm -hmm. so what it is, is it's actually, it's actually Mm BDDSSM, but it gets kind of shortened to BDSM. So it's bondage and discipline. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it's domination and submission. And then it's sadism and masochism. Okay. Okay. So when we're just looking at BDSM and people are picturing like the leather and the spanking and the whips and the, all that, like, yeah, that's BDSM. Right. Okay. It's kind of a, most of like the scariest things we think about that people do sexually mm-hmm. generally fits within that category. Okay. Okay. The thing I love about it so very much is because there are all these very smart, amazing people who understand their erotic selves. They have created such a beautiful structure for sexual communication, and I use this with patients all the dang time. I don't always tell them that I'm teaching them BDSM. Um, for some of them, like if I figure that they'll enjoy that, you know, yeah. then I will. But for a lot of them, I I, I don't. But it's the, the in order to do something really dangerous sexually, you have to plan it. You have to have a discussion with it. You have to know, you know how it's going to go. You have to know how you're going to get out of it, how you're going to communicate when it's working well and when it's not working well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just even to be able to find the person that you're going to be able to do that with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many levels of really hardcore communication that have to happen mm-hmm. to be able to create the desired experience. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, so I love that because, you know, when you have someone that's got pelvic pain, right? right? Like all of a sudden you've got a person that has, you know, these are my definite yes lists, right? These are my definite no lists. And these are my maybes depending on how I'm feeling list. Okay right so that essentially you turn that into a bdsm list right Right. to where you don't then have to like you're always picking off of the yes list Mm -hmm. okay but but the way that we think about sexuality now is like the baseball diamond thing right Mm -hmm. it's like first base second base third base home run and it's not sex unless it ends in penis and vagina intercourse right right.
0: exactly yeah right
1: yeah which is ridiculous Mm -hmm. um and so bdsm does not operate like it's a it's doesn't even have that as part of the way that it, it functions at all, right? Mm-hmm. With BDSM, like, everything counts as sex, you know? Like, are you doing it to kind of meet your erotic needs? Are you entering this situation or, um, you know, this, like, I don't, you know, a scene is kind of sometimes what it's called, but just like a sexual encounter, mm-hmm. you know, going into a sexual encounter, knowing what you want from it, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, figuring out how you're going to get that out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I mean that in a way that's like so basic as of I want pleasure out of the sexual encounter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like for our, our patients too, who have pain or issues like that, like they want to not hurt. Right. You know, they want to be able to have this intimate connection with a partner or partners. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so breaking it down in that same way of like, you know, what, you know, works, what, you know, doesn't. And then how are you going to communicate that before and during, and then how are you going to follow up with it after, you know, yeah. the encounter? And so this is great. Like, I just love that there's this really fantastic dialogue that's already created mm-hmm. that we don't have to reinvent the wheel for all of our patients. We just have to realize that, like, you you know, not be scared of, the, the 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 more scary stuff i guess and learn from it of what what they've all figured out so beautifully yeah. um, it sounds it's, like it's,
0: cool. it's a model for really good communication and good boundaries you know so. it,
1: it absolutely is yeah. and that's like and it's funny like in bdsm workshops it's kind of this you know sometimes this joke about like you know the way that like heterosexual people tend to like meet and decide to have sex is usually, like, intoxicated. Totally, yeah. Right? You know, like, what the heck? Like, mm-hmm. so there's no discussion about what's going to happen or what sort of protection or what sort of barriers or, you know, any sort of, like, actual consent if you're already under the influence of some sort of substance anyway. Like, right. you know, it's so backwards. And right. so that that version of sex I find much more dangerous, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. than what the people in the kink and BDSM communities are doing.
0: Yeah. And I wonder too, again, coming from like a Puritan history, subconsciously there's shame there or there's, I'm not going to acknowledge that I have these needs or that I, you know, so you just get liquored up and, you know, just do it anyway. But yeah, there's not offering yourself the opportunity for communication and for, um, yeah, connection like you would, it sounds like with the BDSM kind of framework or, you know.
1: Right. And with that Puritan background sort of thing, too, what women learn is that sex is not for them, right? Totally. Sex is to be given to someone that has a penis, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like it, it's all completely set up in the way. And then also, you know, people with penises tend to learn that sex is for them to take because it's theirs. Yes. You know, and so that's just a really messed up whole. I mean, that, you know, that's yeah. what... That's why we have the Me Too moment. That's right. why we've got damaging, all of the
0: damage right. ramifications from that. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, I do. Um, I want to also talk about Venom Involved. So, um, okay, tell us more about this event. And is it only in Asheville? It is only in Asheville.
1: I I dabbled with expanding it, and it seemed like it was going to be way more work than what it was worth, and then it was also going to limit me and what I would be able to do in Asheville too, if I had to make sure that it fit with all the different structures right. everywhere. So, yeah, so I decided to keep it in Asheville so I could really just craft it into the, the weirdest possible amazing thing that it could be, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is definitely what's happening with it. Um, but yeah, so it is a sex education in a bar that we've been doing since 2015. Um, and we do, we meet once a month. And when I say we meet, it's a ticketed event for the public now. It, it started free, but now we we do tickets, and we're selling out this year. Like it's been really pretty fun. Like the first this one, the I actually have one tonight, um, and we sold out like a week ahead of time. And then you know it's gonna be like standing room only and very full house.
0: And do you do it in the same place now, or is it? Routine. we do
1: this is our third venue that we've been that we've been in and we can't kind of keep outgrowing spaces and um honestly we could be potentially close to outgrowing this one but i really like this one and i kind of like the size because um, i don't want to just keep doing bigger and bigger and bigger right. um but yeah so the, the basic idea behind it is it is Sex education for all genders, you know, for all ages, abilities, races, like we're, we're really trying hard to be able to speak to everyone so that there's no narrative that is like heteronormative. There's no narrative that is cisgender normative. And there's also no normative that is like white supremacist, right? Um, and using the word white supremacist just is like that, that white is the default, Yes. That, that that's not what we're talking about here. Um, all of those layers and also able to, you know, that we're, that everything is ableist. Also, we're trying to stay away from that. It's really hard to hit all of that all the time, but yeah. we're trying, yeah. you know, and we're always looking for ways to kind of do the best we can for as many people. And, you know, and it just comes out of this place that the conversation is so much better when our minds are more open to what we're actually saying and who that applies to, um, and so with the way that I usually set up my panels is I've got, um, like a medical professional and then a sexual or a medical professional, a, um, a psychological professional. And then usually one of them is also like a sex counselor, sex educator, um, or something as well. Um, and then, and sometimes I'll have like a couple mental health and, you know, and one men, or medical person. Um, but I also try to like have someone who's just like who's got like the street smarts on it you right, know that right. so we can kind of have like that fun real awesome dig into it conversation but it's always anchored in like safe solid
0: knowledge yes. as well and are you on um, all the panels too or are you just kind of there to facilitate i generally host all the panels um tonight though
1: i actually get to be on the panel huh. which was i it was kind of hilarious tonight was supposed to be. A, a Tantra panel, but I, the panel was just not coming together for me. And my friend Noah Stiles, who um, who created my logo that I love, my Vino and Bulbas logo, somehow it came up that we were joking about it. And, he, you know, like Vino and Bulbas, you can make all sorts of different, funny little this and this, like some sort of booze and a genital thing, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And so um, we made some sort of joke about um, beer and buttholes. And, and he said, if you do that, I will make you a separate logo just for that. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, deal. And so <laughs> I have my separate beer and buttholes logo. We'll have t-shirts and stickers and mugs to give away tonight. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. And so, so, and it was really hilarious for me for this one is that like a lot of the times when I ask for topic suggestions, the medical providers, especially the pelvic PTs, will be like, we should really do one about, like, bowels and constipation. And I'm like, I am charging tickets for an yeah. event. Like, I cannot talk about constipation, yeah. you know, as, like, the topic. And, oh, my God, we're so going to talk about constipation <laughs> to a sold-out <laughs> crowd tonight. feel like we are working it in, honey. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's really important if we're going to, like, be able to talk about Because, you know, we'll be talking about anal sex, right? So in order to understand how to make anal sex work well, you have to understand how your butt and your rectum and your anus and all your pelvic floor muscles work. So I have this whole, like, interactive pelvic floor thing that they're all going to get to learn with partners. And it's going to be kind of hilarious and goofy. Oh,
0: that's awesome. So, yeah. So it's going to be fun. Fun Fun and educational and just, yeah. And community building you know, really. Yeah. So now, also, um, people may not know that you um, have an art project on the side, or not a project, I mean, sort out, but yeah, you have a knack for coloring, for drawing crotches. So, yes. Yeah, go ahead and uh, share with everyone why, what possessed you to create a coloring book of crotches. <laughs>
1: yes, but it's called Important Parts, a coloring book for the crotch enthusiast. And, um, And so the so what that came out of is when I started Vino and Vulvas, I wanted to make sure that I had some fun, accessible sort of images because you know when we would talk about anatomy for different things on the panel, like we needed some sort of images to to show people um but i didn't want to pull out like medical models Mm -hmm. you know and then also because we were always trying to like from very early on we were really making sure that we were trying to be as trans inclusive as we could um and so all of the medical models are totally binary right Mm -hmm. and so what i wanted was to have a greater array of different sorts of pictures and you know and to make sure that like what a like a clitoris looks like after it's been or someone's been on testosterone for a while, like that's also represented, and what because genitals change with um, various surgeries and with various hormones, with um, all of that. So, I wanted a, a better group of pictures for it, um, and so I just kind of started making my own. And then people really liked them, and then I just started playing more with it. And then I just ended up making this big coloring book where I added like themes to all of them, and um, so it's you know, I mean. It, and they're, they're fun and easy and they're super not pornographic. Right. Um, so, you know, so you can kind of like, just when you look at one, like I had, I have one that's like a guitar and it's like a penis, but then it has like labia and a like vaginal opening mm-hmm. in it. But then it's got like a, like a kind of like an erect penis with the, you know, the urethra at the tip of the penis um, on it. And I had a pelvic therapist um, who's actually a, a guy um, send me a text message and say, like, okay, so explain to me what you're thinking of. Like, what's your, your inspiration for this one, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't know. As I looked at it, I'm like, well, it could be, like, you know, someone who you know, has a vulva and a vagina, but they really like to think their, their clitoris is like their cock or it's like their, their psychic cock or something Mm -hmm. is that it could also be an intersex variation. It could also be someone who maybe has um, a penis and a scrotum, but really likes to think of their anus, like more as like their vagina, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, and it's like I could, I just listed like five or six different off the top of your head. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Right. (laughs) Like, and so that was kind of, it's like, you know, just to let your mind sort of think about who would maybe claim this as their body and why, you know, stop just thinking so much about what anatomy is supposed to look like and what genders are supposed to have, you know? So,
0: yeah, yeah, so it's fun. And if you don't, I mean, I think that definitely, uh, like the coloring book helps people to open up their mind to that because... If you don't have that experience, just like you said, and even like using the words and talking and thinking about, you know, things this way. um, Yeah. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice way to have fun coloring and have that education and and that mind opening kind of opportunity. So yeah. What resources have you found, you know, you'd like to share with your clients that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, Some of, um, one of my, for anyone who has a vagina and a vulva, The book "Come as You Are" has become quickly one of my very, very favorite um, books to understand everything from like if from what vulva and vagina anatomy is, what it can do, how libido works, how like attachment works, how it's just it's so much really fantastic education, Um, and it's it's created by Emily Nagoski, who's a sex educator, and she does such a good job of, of communicating her her. Her messages. So that's one I certainly recommend. Um, there's one that is called. I don't have, I've got a, a very heavy cat on my lap, so I can't run over to my bookshelf right now. Um, but there, there's one that's called The Remedy, and it's, I think, like, Queer and Trans Voices in Healthcare. Okay. by And the first name is, I think like, it's like Zena Sarman or Zena Sharman or something. Mm-hmm. But if you look up Remedy, like, Queer and Trans Voices in Healthcare, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic because it is exactly that. Like, if you either if you are queer or trans or if you are want to have a better understanding of like what some of the issues and barriers are for that population. Mm -hmm. It's a really great book because it's just a bunch of different like short stories and narratives to explain explain what that experience is like being a queer trans person going through um the healthcare system right. um and it's just so eye-opening like it's it's fantastic and um, things you, you just wouldn't ever even think about you know it's like oh yeah like wow i can see how there are 15 different barriers for you know this transgender person to come in and see me as a pelvic physical therapist mm-hmm. you know and that's so much emotional work every dang time mm-hmm. you know um yeah, so those are some, um, uh, Trans Bodies, Trans Cells is always high on my list of recommendations. It is a huge book of all things trans, um, and so it's one that I recommend for sure. Um, I'm trying to think, I recommend Mating in Captivity often okay. for understanding, um, and that one's more, uh, like, kind of understanding your own, like, erotic patterns and desires, especially for people in long-term relationships. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying. sure. Great, yeah. Like, as awesome. soon as we stop, I'm going to think, oh, yeah, there was like five of them I didn't mention. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like those are the ones that I've kind of recommended. That's oh, nice. there's, a, there's a really fantastic one, too. It is called Drawn to Sex. Okay. And it's like the basics. It's a sex education one, and it's all done kind of like a graphic novel. And it has everything from like just understanding super basic stuff to like really great um Uh, like understanding barriers and it's very trans inclusive. And then even like it goes to like how to rock a threesome sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so as far as for like someone who's maybe wants to be a little more adventurous, but understand how to do it safely and understand a lot of the, um, the
0: more like sexuality stuff, Mm -hmm. that's a really fantastic one. Great. Excellent. Yeah. And if you, yeah. if there's some you thought of and you, um, you know, we didn't, you didn't say here, you could always email me and I'll add them to the show notes. Okay. Yeah. that will be awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I mean, we've covered a bunch, so don't feel Yeah. I, I, you know what? I
1: think I didn't say that I want to make sure that I say, because when I was talking about the transgender stuff, I was talking about like bottom surgeries. Yeah. It's really important for, you know, especially medical providers, I think to understand the only, I, I think it's about 5% of the trans population has actually had any sort of bottom surgery. Mm-hmm. And often those are the only ones we think about, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, people with new vaginas or, you know, different stuff like that. But really the issues, and this is what I talk about a lot in my, the, the transgender um, class that I'm teaching through Pelvic Guru, mm-hmm. um, is that you know, the vast majority of trans care is under—it's understanding the gender and the social structure and barriers to it much more so than it is understanding like like surgery anatomy because that's just not the case for everyone. And even when that is the case for everyone, it's usually not like the only issue you're dealing with. So there's so much more to it than than just understanding surgical protocol.
0: Yes, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good point to make. Excellent. Um, what is the best way to contact you? I would love for you to tell people how they can take that. If they're PTs, how they can take your trans courses or um, how people can get your coloring book. I, we have to let people know that. <laughs> yeah. So
1: um, I have a website that's the vino and vulvas website. And if you go to that, it's uh, vino and written out a N D uh, vulvas. Dot com, um, and then my, my coloring book is available on there um, and so in it it'll just give you the links to the if you're if you're in Asheville it' will give you the links to the local bookstores but it's also on um, like indiebound and it's on Amazon so you can find it in any of those places um, and then um, as far as my courses uh, those are all available through pelvicguru.com. Um, and it's actually pelvicguru.com backslash courses um, if you want to check those out. And there's three of them. I'm doing one in Asheville um, this summer that is July 20th and 21st. And then I'm totally not going to be able to say the dates on the other ones. So there's one then in Portland that is in August. And then there is one in in phoenix that is in november and they're all two-day courses and my i have a co-instructor tuesday Farrell, who is one of my very favorite people to teach with they're just amazing they've been doing they're a mental health professional and they've been doing all sorts of um, trans education on like national levels and state levels and local levels um, as well and just one of those people that like you, you know basic concepts but then when you hear them say it mm-hmm. you're like oh wow now I get it yes, <laughs> yes. Yep. it's always so fun teaching with them like to see like the looks on people's faces when they just like hit that point you can just like see all the light bulbs going off oh, so I am awesome. thrilled to have Tuesday as my my
0: teaching partner
1: Excellent. oh that's yeah exciting.
0: and um you're on Facebook as well correct Yep, I'm on Facebook as
1: well, um, Vino and Vulvas, and I'm also on Instagram, um, Vino and Vulvas there too. So, yeah, you can find me any of that in my – so, yeah, so you can message me from there. My email is vinoandvulvas at gmail.com, and you can get that off of my – off of the website too. Yes. So.
0: I so appreciate your time today and just explaining all this stuff. Or, you know, I mean, it's just so eye-opening to me and I'm sure it will be for many, many people. So I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing and um, helping so many people and being such a positive, strong voice in this community. It's, it's so refreshing and inspiring. Thank you, thank you
1: you are so welcome and thanks for thinking of this is important and wanting to include it in your show it really means a lot and it's been it's been lots of fun so thanks a lot for that and thanks for taking all the time to make a podcast that's not easy yes thank
0: you so much for saying that uh, it was great thank you I had so much fun talking with Heather and learning from her. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I have a fantastic update to let you know about. You can now watch Vino and Vulvas online. There are options to earn ASECT continuing education credits as well. So you can sign up via their website and it's a nominal one-time fee for now. Check it out at vinoinvolvas.com or look to their Facebook or Instagram pages for the link. Take care.